Real Bullpen Session. This is Patrick Lellis, and thank you for listening. Glad you're here. Glad you're healthy. Hope everything is good. I uh, hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Um, yeah, excited. It's uh, weird to feel the end of the last month of 2020, and oddly, I don't, you know, I don't think any of us had a normal holiday, uh, but something about it felt I like that holiday it's my favorite Thanksgiving because it's whoever you shared it with you know I like it's whoever you sat down and shared a meal with and gave thanks that's the holiday and uh, so in some way that is normal uh, regardless if you created a new tradition for yourself or not um, but I hope you had a good holiday and I hope uh, as we venture into December starting to get a sense of normalcy after eight months of what we're doing here in the COVID world. Um, also feel a sense of optimism, I think, probably because the election is over and, you know, starting to get the idea that we're going to get some calm in our day-to-day life and also believe there'll be a vaccine uh, in the next year. I don't, not tomorrow, but soon. And, uh, you know, that's given me a sense of hope and also just had a great conversation with the uh, playwright and actor Lisa Ramirez and found out during the conversation we had more more in common than I thought. I did not know that she was such a baseball fan and that was fun. You'll hear a little bit of that in the beginning. Um, Also we're both sober. That I did know. Um, Interesting how that helps to shape your career forward Uh, and uh, and just the types of plays that we both enjoy the foundation, sort of the great American play that you'll hear her talk about. She actually wrote a play that that I saw to the bone that I thought was incredible. And it is, in my mind, one of the great American plays because it goes towards social justice in the way of Odette's. And uh, she's having a benefit. They're doing a benefit reading of that play. The Working Theater is. It's on their website. I think it's theworkingtheater.org. And December 7th at 7.30 is the reading with the original cast. And you should check it out. The benefit is they are benefiting an organization that works with uh, migrant workers. And, yeah, definitely check it out December 7th at 7.30. That's uh, this Monday. And, yeah, we talked a lot. We had a great time having this conversation. It's really joyful. I think you'll appreciate it. And one of the things that you'll hear in the theme that she talked about is you know, not yet, and saying no to work, and and said she wasn't ready and she would do it later. And I thought that was amazing because it takes a bit of confidence to know it's going to come later or the time isn't right. And I think in COVID, when we feel that there's, you know, this lacking of opportunity, we feel like we should do everything we can and or is offered. And it's just good to remember that we don't have to take everything just because someone else offered it. You know, don't, don't turn it down, always consider it, but it's good if it's good. You can take this opportunity to really build the work you want to be building and putting yourself in a position to do the work you want to be doing when, when some form of new normalcy returns. And you know, we have to pay our bills, we have to make a living, but I don't, I just like the idea that we don't, not to take away that feeling of desperation, that like, oh, I have to do whatever because what's normal isn't here, and scarcity, you know, and I, I just love the idea that she, for whatever reason, may have been confidence, may have been insecurity, may have been she had a better plan for herself, but I love that she did not operate out of a sense of scarcity, like this isn't the only time, and you'll hear her talk about that. Um, but it's a joyful conversation, and I'm glad you're listening, and I will let you hear me talk with Lisa now. So, play ball. come to Chicago the uh, <laughs> the company called American Blues Theater had not yet been formed but Rick Cleveland was one of the best friends of a, a guy that I actually was involved with at the time but we were in college together uh, named Dave Brooks and he was a lighting designer and so he and Rick and another friend of theirs had taken a bicycle 
trip across the country. And it, and it ended up being Rick's first play called um, Buffalo Boys. Uh, and, and Ed Blatchford ended up being cast in that, which is how he first became involved with those guys. Long story short, and Billy directed it, Bill, Bill Payne directed it. And they, and the next step was they became a company. And for that show, I was living in Cleveland. Dave and I were living in Cleveland. We, he designed it. We literally, we drove to Chicago, built the show, watched a run through, drove back to Cleveland. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and then when Rick, his next play, um, they became American Blues Theater and we drove in from Cleveland. I designed the sound for that. Um, that was called Dogman's Last Stand, which is kind of Rick's first real play. And um, we, D Dennis Zodchek was in that play. That's when Jim Lemming, I don't know if you know any of these people, but. Yeah, yeah, well, probably. Dennis, sure. Jim, Jim Lemming uh, was also in it and they kind of all, you know, that, that company became a thing. We, but again, we drove in, I put in the sound, they put up the lights, watched the show, drove back. Um, but at the time we were both thinking about moving to Chicago and uh, yeah, it's a much longer story than this. But anyway, I ended up coming here. Dave went to do some internship somewhere. I never came here. And um, we, I became a member of the company, or the first female member of the company. And I was a stage manager in those days because you could get paid. <laughs> also, you know, um, because it was a useful thing. Uh, it turned out to be just a really great way to be in a lot of rooms, you know, watching how it all got done. So... And that company started, I think Chicago has a history of this too, but that, that got primarily done to do new plays, to do their plays, right? Because it was founded by one of the members was a playwright. And so we always were, we were always doing new work. We did Rick's work, but we, you know, did other work um, and not always new work actually, but as it turned out, but it's certainly how I began looking at new work and thinking about new work with a playwright in the room. Yeah. And now I was really, I was curious. I mean, we, we, we met when you directed the reading of my play and I was very grateful for that. And uh, also I was, I was just looking going, cause I knew that you went, you were in Cleveland and I thought, well, you could go anywhere. Like your friend who took the internship and didn't go to Chicago. Yeah. How did that happen? And then how did you become a director for new plays? Well, you know, they, it was, it, it seemed a natural thing to do again, as I was in a company that had a playwright in it. Um, but then I, I, I was a stage manager for some years and, and then when I decided, um, I, I was directing, but you know, in Chicago, and I don't know if this is everywhere, but certainly Chicago, people are going to call you to do the thing they know you do. So I had to stop. I was an, a union stage manager by that time. So I had to stop doing that and, um, kind of pushed to just direct. And, you know, I, there, it was a town full of, still is a town full of playwrights. And so I just began to know people and do readings with people, um, and then, of course, having been around the old Victory Gardens with all the multiple spaces was a place where the entire community tended to cross, you know, through that lobby. It was kind of an amazing experience, as I think back on it, at one point or another. And so, you know, I started to work with these persons and these other persons, you know, whatever, these different people. And, and then um, the opportunity to work on the staff at Victory Gardens came up. So I guess it was kind of accidental that, it, that I began to do all almost all new work, but uh, there's a company called Impact that I work with a lot, but that's, and that's also a playwright driven, a new works company. And it's a, um, does African-American centered work completely. So I did a lot of new work with them and with those playwrights. Uh, but then, as I say, Victory Gardens became the kind of the place I always was one way or another. And then Marcy McVeigh said, why is it that you don't work for us? You know, not as a director, but on the staff. And I began to work in the administration and then um, had the opportunity to to get a grant through the New Generations Grant or Next Generation. I can't remember what it's called anymore. Uh, the, the New Generations Grant through TCG. And that kind of was a game changer. But, you know, interestingly, by that time, I'd already been working in theater for, you know, 15, 17, forever. You know, I think it was like 17 years, honestly. And it was interestingly, or at the time, the first time anyone ever said, and this, to this day, I was like, wow, really? They said, so what is it that you want for your career? What kind of, and I, I'm a Midwesterner. I work for a living. I literally had never thought about the fact that I'd been working almost 20 years in theater as being my career. 
it would just wasn't a word that I used, <laughs> you know? Right, right. Um, it's a job. I'm working. It's my job. This is what I do. I work in the theater. And, uh, and that was just kind of mind blowing to think about it in a, you know, to change the frame of how I thought about what I did. Uh, and, and I've never worked harder in my life on writing a grant and happily got it, which, which gave me a, a good opportunity at, at VG to direct for the first time on their main stage and to kind of uh, get what turned into kind of a journeyman experience of running. D Dennis took great, <laughs> I think, pleasure in using the word mentee all the time because <laughs> uh, it was a mentorship. Um, and he and just in his voice, that was just hilarious to hear. But yes, it was a it was an opportunity that kind of really made it clear to me what I had been doing and how it was shaping up. And also, as I say, to put it in a particular frame. And how, when interesting, what did the grant do for you? Because did were you already working at VG? Yeah, but not as a director. I was working. Right. Was so how did the grant how did the grant change from staff to like? Hey, you can direct on the stage. How did the grant what became that? specific to the grant was the opportunity to direct on the stage. I mean, it was about mentorship. It was about learning or, or being allowed to encourage and supported and doing X. And you wrote, I wrote the grant so that part of it was that I would, and it's funny because when I was first writing it, I hadn't necessarily thought to put that in there, but I was encouraged by them. Uh, you know, don't you want to, don't you want to make that? And I was like, yeah, I, I actually do. <laughs> And, and it became, I mean, I was a literary, I, you know, I, it's, it was a New Works Theater, so it was a very <laughs> multifaceted grant. I did a lot of reading of plays and helping with, but it was about being kind of a journeyman artistic director. I, there was an associate artistic director, of course, in Sandy Chinner, um, but learning the whole job and part of it was being in the room for everything and also, and also directing, you know, and juggling tasks while you you know, not not necessarily being able to withdraw from the entire world while you while you directed, but making it part of the central to the to the job. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, I think the grant actually, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the grant's perfect for like bringing you in, like you said, being part of everything, which is what you want to do if you're going to run a theater someday. But also just understanding everything about the art, how it happens, and how business decisions are made, let alone artistic decisions. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I have to ask, it's such a great thing. How did, just the fact that she said, hey, you're always here, how do you not work for us? Like, you know, there's a lot of people in Chicago that don't work there, you know, or didn't work there, you know? Yeah. So what, what, how were you, I'm curious, how were you forming that relationship? And, and it can be simple. It can be just, hey, I'm nice and I'm personable and I work a lot. You know? I'm, gonna go, I'm gonna go with that. <laughs> but I, honestly, because, well, first of all, it was eons ago, so. And as I said, I wasn't a per I wasn't thinking about how to build a career, which is probably a failing on my part, but it, I wasn't. I, I, I did work a lot and I also knew, you know, it is Chicago certainly then, and I think still to a great degree, but certainly then was very much a everybody knows everybody kind of community. And, and, you know, you kind of find yourself lifting a hammer here or, jumping in to help somebody out there, you know? And yeah, I, I, I cannot say exactly how it happened. Um, but, you know, Marcy is also, it, Marcy is also just a wildly personable human being. Talk to everybody, anybody always. And, um, and, I, and I cannot say exactly how it happened. It just, it just was one of those conversations. I, I, I can see where I was standing in the building, but I honestly can't say exactly what I was doing, <laughs> you know? I, I, I think I was working for Reggie for Impact at the time. I think I was doing something with them. And they have had almost their entire 30 year experience in the Victory Gardens old building. And so they have had a long relationship. And I, yeah, I think it just just happened that way. Yeah. It's pretty great. And, and the American Blues Theater kept, it kept going. Did that become, uh, American, American Theater Company. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's still, there is, there is still an American Blues, but what happened was, uh, and I, I'd left by this time, but it was American yeah. Blues. We built a theater. Um, I, I, I left after some board tumult, which is kind of your usual tale. And um, 
and had been the the artistic director there for a couple of years, co-artistic director and artistic director. And then uh, they they changed the name to American Theater Company because they said, I mean, I wasn't in the conversations, but the word on the street was, you know, we, we it's true that people would often ask about music, right? Because the blues was in the, but that hadn't kept us from doing what we did. So I, I don't know. I think somebody just decided they wanted to do that. Um, but then after some other tumult, some many years later now, um, a, a group of the company left, left, it split and went to become American Blues again, took back the name. And then there was an American Theater Company still in our old building, which annoyed me since I built that building. But anyway, <laughs> um, they, but then that company's gone now after other kinds of tumult. So that, that the American Theater Company doesn't exist anymore. And that theater isn't a theater anymore, which makes me sad. That is sad. Being the mentee in that position, what did it help? Because you took, mainly when you said it helped because you started directing and I know you directed numerous Chicago premieres, world premieres at Victory Gardens. What else from that relationship or that role or that grant, like, what do you think it did when you thought about it as your career? Like one of my things is that's the thing that happened and you got it by applying with their help, right? They said, you should apply for this. We want to help. Well, I said I should apply for this and they were like, okay, cool. <laughs> and then help. No, no, I found it. And I was like, okay, this is the thing. <laughs> and I and ran around to everybody and said, I'm going to apply for the, in the, in the company, you know, in the, admin, yeah. and said, I'm going to apply for this. What do you think? And they were, they were wildly supportive. True. But I had to, I worked really, really hard with a lot of long conversations, um, some of which were challenging because, you know, being clear about what it is you're trying to do is always the hardest part, right? And, you know, to write an effective grant and also to make sure that what you're going you're gonna to get to do what it is you say that you're, you want to do, you know? You mean maybe? Um, but it changed, I mean, it did. Go ahead. Just, no, it, it just changed the trajectory of things, I guess, or maybe it, it put me on a trajectory a little bit. Um, it got me out of being just just doing the administrative kind of work back into you know or, or into making plays on a on a on a little bit higher scale i mean it you know as dennis used to love to say that streets weren't paved with gold but but it was you know i did have the opportunity to work with some actors immediately that were like in the first production i did there it was kind of a dream cast for me i mean um uh, ac tony smith and and um, Sherilyn Bruce and I mean and this is some years ago I mean obviously lots of years ago now but but it was still these were some of the finer finest actors in Chicago and I got to hire them and part of it was I was at a place where I could pay them you know the scale that etc right yeah um, so that was so it kind of changed the the conversations I could have with people about doing work you know, and that, and and as well as giving me the specific opportunities to to do it on a stage with a little bit of money, comparatively. So that was nice. Nice, and and when it gives you that platform, then you're still working in impact. And I, I'm wondering how it gets your reach out. How do then people start to see your work and they start to talk to you? And I'm 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 looking at where you've where you've worked in other places and thinking about what you've directed a couple times with Clarence Brown, right? Yeah, I mean, and that was a Chicago, that's because Cal, you know, was a Chicago guy uh, who went out there and um, now, and that still took a long time to go there and then a long time to go there again, which was a fascinating conversation for he and him and I to have like, oh, geez, why has it been 10 years since you've been here? I'm like, I don't know, Cal, why has it been 10 years? You know, that's, um, but I, it did change things, but I will say, you know, that it's interesting when I look at the different you know, that, that was the second time that that particular grant had been given, and it's now been given, I don't know, 15, 20 times or something. Um, and and it's there's always a little cadre of people in each grant year. Um, and, and you have the opportunity to meet a lot of people, to go to the conferences, to have some other particular uh, meetings with, with um, artistic directors from all over who are the mentors of the other people in the, you know, and so you, you get to have some good conversations. You get to learn a lot. Um, and sometimes, you, you, you know, it, it, it can result in, in more work elsewhere. And, I, you know, you have to, when I think back, 
again, I wasn't a, a careerist, not using it in a pejorative sense, but um, I didn't, I, I wasn't necessarily saying I need to, you know, go here and do this and build a particular kind of career. That was never my thing. For a lot of my cohort, it, it was, and they have very different types of careers. Um, to their to their great credit, and I and I, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I think it changed it changed my my work and my opportunities uh, in a great way, and probably could have done more. But I mean, I got to travel a lot of places. I got to go to South Africa because of this thing. They gave us. Um, I was curious about that, like how because I I listened to the inter the post show conversation interview after the island. Um, and you said you got to go to South Africa for the 10th anniversary of democracy. And how did that come about? My God, where did you listen to that? You'll have to tell me later. Uh, <laughs> at the end, near the, near the end of the grant period, they, out of nowhere, they, they said, look, you, we're going to give you X amount of money to put towards <laughs> if you have any student loans. So that was nice. Um, and where would you like to travel? Is there somewhere you would like to go? I can't remember what the wording was exactly, but you know, is there somewhere you would like to go and why would you like to go there? <laughs> you know, and that was kind of it. And so I kind of wrote up a little thing and said, I would like to go to South Africa because I've never, because I, I truly believe in the power of stories and storytelling to affect our world. And there is no place, and certainly at that time, there was no place where that was clearer um, than in the theater that was done during apartheid that I think helped to bring down those walls. And so, I put a trip together and they paid for it, <laughs> basically. <laughs> I put a trip together and, and got to go to uh, Johannesburg and to Cape Town and to went around and interviewed um, various people who were running those, the main, you know, the big theaters, the market theater. The, and, and I happened across, you know, when I made the plan, it wasn't because it was the 10th anniversary of democracy. It just happened to be, which was also a fascinating thing to be there in that moment. I also was there while the Olympic torch was going through Cape Town. So that was kind of wild, you know. And just coincidentally, I was in Cape Town when John Connie was in rehearsal there. And I had met him in New York when he'd uh, uh, written a play. Nothing but the truth. Nothing but the truth. And I, I had, I'd written to him and uh, told him I would, you know, asked him if I could come and say hello. And I, so I went to New York and we saw the play and said hello and talked for a few minutes and said, I thought I'd be in South Africa. And he said, well, if I'm there, look me up. He happened to be in rehearsal. And I actually wasn't able to track him down, but I'm walking through the lobby of the theater where he's working. He was there and he's like, sit down, let's talk. It was, <laughs> yeah, that was kind of fantastic. So a lot of serendipity, I guess, for some of the kind of most wonderful moments. In yeah, I, I want to say serendipity, but it's also about clarity of asking for what you want, right? I mean, you're like, oh, I want to go to South Africa, but also I, I got lucky. I saw that play at Lincoln Center and I got lucky because someone else who's much smarter than me sent me. Um, ah, yeah. And then I learned who John Connie is and, 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 learned, and learned about the play and then learned more history. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I'm grateful to this day that I saw that play because uh, it opened up, just opened up my mind and a little more, a lot more information in the world. How did you know to write to that, write and say, hey, I'm going to come see you? I just wanted, I, yeah, I don't know that I knew to do it. I just really, really, and it's not something I've done ever. Be, I mean, I honestly, in my life, really, but I was very interested, as I say, in, in theater that was, powerful in its specificity and it's you know and in and, and making political action possible or supporting political action um and and of course uh connie was you know f was very instrumental in all of, of fugard's work and so i just had been reading and rereading and you know and south africa was very much on my mind because it's the only place that that in so many ways <laughs> mirrors what i our, our country strangely um, not absolutely, obviously, but, uh, and, and being younger and a little closer to my more, uh, revolutionary days, I was just, yeah, it just seemed to me that it might be worthwhile. And that, and I think that grant also made me think in terms of go ahead, take an action, you know, um, something good could happen. Yeah. And it's amazing. And 
I'm curious. Yeah, I think it's great to take the action. And I think it's funny when you say it, because I think when I'm younger, I was much bolder about about who I'd reach out to and be like, hey, I'm in, I, I want to come to your town and I want to have coffee, you know? Yeah, yeah. Which and, is, I mean, but why not? What do you got to lose? <laughs> you know, yeah. it's funny. I don't know if I'm, if I was bolder than I am now. I, I don't know. Um, but I certainly in that moment was more, was more actively interested in how I could, make something work for me. And actually that's not quite true, but I certainly went through a period after that of being much less, I don't know, much, much more kind of ensconced in what was happening where I was and less in what's happening out there and what, what can I do to kind of bring it to me or bring myself to it or something like that. Now, the thing about going to South Africa is going there, all I've thought about since is how I can go back. You know, it, it was really an eye-opening experience in a million ways, a million, million ways. And, and also just a beautiful, just a beautiful country and, and huge. Like you look on the maps that we look at, you don't realize it. It is just amazing. It, I, I took a train from Johannesburg to Cape Town because I love trains. And it took like two days, I mean, like two and a half days to get down there. It was a trip, you know, and I had no, no idea, but it also was a chance to meet some people who, and, and learn some things kind of on the ground about how, how people experience each other there. I will ask, you know, when you sit down with him in the lobby and he says, yeah, let's talk, you know. It was that since it was the 10th anniversary of democracy, he talked politics. He talks about what was happening and what was not happening. He talked about how things were not um, rolling out in the way that he'd hoped and that you would see, you know, he's talking about the sitting in the, um, I don't know if it was parliament or, um, but just watching many of the commissioners, just not, pay, you know, not paying attention, dozing, being, he, he was really kind of disgusted with how people weren't really taking on the charge to make deep uh, changes. Um, so he, I mean, he, so he had, he had, he just had a lot to say about that. I guess it was much on his mind, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and then, and, and, I, and I said, well, I don't want to hold you. He's like, oh, they won't start till I get back. And he was like, we, he literally talked to me for about half an hour or something. And it was really, it was, it was kind of a great experience. It was not kind of, it was a great experience and yeah. um, kind of eye-opening as well, as well. It just made me think so much about how, you know, there's a first step, you know, look at us, we're going to have an election in a couple of days. That's a first step. If we make that one change, there's still a million things to do. And though, and that's going to be the hard part, right? That is the hard part. And, and uh, well, that's what I was thinking when you were talking about it, when he said that, because I think, right, we're in the, it, it's sort of disappointing that we're in another revolution, right? Because you would you would think we should have already made progress. That's not, that's like, wait a minute, have we made any? Have we made some? Like, what are we doing? And, yeah. and, you're, and you're right, this will drop after the election. So let's, uh, in the intro, hopefully I said that we had a great first step. Um, uh, <laughs> But it is true. But then we'll be face to face with the second step, and that's that is really the daunting part. Yeah. The yeah, second step and the hundred after. Yeah, yeah, just continuing to show up and do the work. Yeah. And um, what what do you? I'm jumping, but it's going to tie back into what we're talking about. What do you What are you working on besides? I know you're giving the tour in a little bit, um, but what are you What are you working on now? And 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 I know the pandemic is shutdown is affecting everybody, but what are you working on now? Um, well, with Impact, we've been doing some radio plays. So doing, going back and doing some um, some re reinterpretations or radio interpretations of some plays that we've done before. So um, I'm, I've done one of those and I'm going to do another one um, in a couple of weeks or actually, actually around Christmas, I guess. Uh, I have somebody, somebody asked me if I was interested in doing uh, the gin game. Don't know why, but you know, why not? <laughs> but with two people who aren't even on the same continent. So like, this is going to be a zoom experience. So that's kind of crazy. That's cool. Um, I'm, I don't even know what that's going to mean though. I mean, honestly, I don't know what, how we'll do it, but, but I, we will, it'll be fun to figure out, I guess. Uh, also going to do, um, uh, a former student of mine and wonderful, very talented playwright colleague who's finishing up her master's at OU is, um, I'm going to direct her thesis project 
also going to be a Zoom thing. Again, don't know what that's going to mean. <laughs> but we're in the middle of casting that, or we're going to be casting that uh, in the next couple of weeks. We are in the middle, but we're going to do the callback, blah, blah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so basically kind of exploring what it's what it is to try to make theater on screens. I mean, caveat for me, if it's on screen, it's not theater. I mean, if you're directing it for the screen, you're directing something that isn't. That is, as a friend of mine pointed out, theater adjacent. <laughs> but it's not yeah and uh, but i but it's um but making something is good (laughs) you know being able to make something is good so so we'll see yeah yeah i feel like very few people are you know able to do live and we sort of have to be intentional just about how are we going to continue to create and tell stories and i like this i I like zoom you know you're doing multiple continents i was proud that we had a 10-person play with six states represented but you know you're going a little you're going a little bigger um but I do feel that I feel like it's a little bit of a band-aid because we have to in hopes that it will restore back I'm feeling like it will at some point but uh, the question is how long you know when (laughs) and meanwhile we can't just wait you know it doesn't make sense to just wait I'm gonna ask for my selfishness how's the audio plays working because I'm thinking about that with the farm I'm actually I think uh, I've enjoyed the podcast a lot and I'm trying to think what's the best way for people to experience new work and i'm i was thinking oh maybe we'll do the radio play are are people the production's one thing are you getting listeners and people checking them out i don't know they literally just launched last week and i haven't checked in to see how it's going um you can look them up it's impact look them up and see see what's there m-p-a-a-c-t um um yeah I'm, i'm not i'm not quite sure i did listen to the first one at the launch and it was it, it was it it was effective, you know. I heard the story. I, you know, and I happened to remember the play. Not happened to, of course. I know this play, but it was some years ago. But I'd forgotten how much I liked this play, and I liked it again, you know. And I was like, oh yeah, okay. So that worked. I'm. I haven't listened to the completed um, version of the play that I'd done, which is called Black and Blue, which is a play that I um, I just directed a. I don't know. I guess two years ago now. Um, a two-character play about uh, black police officers in a black neighborhood and kind of the trauma of the, the experience, both for the community and for them. And and uh, it's it's a really it's a really interesting and powerful piece. I I I'd listened to kind of a rough cut of it. And I'm like, all right, we'll see. I haven't listened to the final, even though it's done. I just haven't had time. And um, I'm really curious because it's a really visceral kind of piece because you're basically on the road with these guys for an entire you know day and a day in which um it very much something very similar to the release of the Laquan McDonald tape has happened so a lot a lot kind of pops off in the community um so I'm really curious to see how effective that is and there's also some intense language and one of the most operatic wildly frightening <laughs> monologues I've ever heard, I think, in this piece. So um, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting without the visual and the experience of connection between the two. You mean connection just in the fact that they're in front of us? Well, I, the connection between the two characters, the visual the, the, between them, but also, yes, with the audience. Um, because part of the, for me, part of the power of that piece is you know, that this is all, and we did it in very small theater, but this is all in your face. Some pretty heavy, and the and the audience is often the um, other, the third character or the, the other characters, whether they're, that the, that the, that the um, police officers are confronting or engaging with. And so, yeah, I'm not quite sure. Yeah, I'm not quite sure how that's going to play. So I'll be interested check it out yeah i think it sounded good to me (laughs) what i heard but i just in terms of the overall you know yeah well i look forward to checking it out because i'm also just now starting to go and listen to audio plays because as i had the idea i thought well i better see if it does what i want it to do because it is a different art form it's a different craft you know yeah and it's funny because we're not approaching it like 
radio plays from you know the 1920s it's not like you got a foley guy and you're listening to the walk the feet walk in or the it's not like that it's it's got some red straight stage direction and it's got you know so it's 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 more of a kind of a fully teched reading <laughs> if, if you know what i mean yeah then no that's what i think i'm aiming for yeah because i don't you know I don't think I need the footsteps and the. <laughs> right, right. You know, but it does have music and it does have, I mean, the way we're doing it, but music is very much a part of what they do at that impact anyway. But it does have music and, and that kind of thing, but it doesn't have, you know, and some sound effects, some necessary sound effects, but it doesn't have, you know, we're not trying to say, and they open the door, you know, <laughs> none of that. Good. Um, how do you, you know, it's interesting. I, I'm curious, what do you think, since we both talked, we talked and you were talking about, oh, that was a long time ago, that was a long time ago. And I, what do you think you carry into the room now with you after that you may not have when you were starting this journey? You know, that's so funny because of the, the questions you were saying, yeah, we kind of want to talk about these things. That was the one we're like, oh man, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, all I could come around to again and again was experience, but that is like the vaguest possible thing in the world. But I, I think, I think maybe, huh, I, I think that I don't, I think I have more patience. Well, I'm not a patient person at all, but I, but I, I think I must have, I think I have more patience. It's easier for me to be patient um, in terms of making sp more space for people to get where they need to go. Um, um, whether we're talking about, you know, just re during rehearsal or, or, or even in, in production meetings and things, I just think, I think I probably have a little bit more patience or, or more, or I'm better at having patience. I don't know if I actually have more patience, but I'm better, but I'm better at having patience. I think, um, I, I honestly cannot say that I, I, that I've ever felt that I had anything to prove. I always thought that, okay, I, I, because I've never, I'm not a, I've never been insecure about my own power, so to speak, you know, which isn't to say I ever thought I was, you know, like I'm a power wielding maniac, but I, but I honestly have never felt insecure about thinking, yeah, I, that I would be able to get what I wanted done in the end, if you know what I mean, which isn't to say, you know, you always get what you want. I'm just saying, I don't, I don't feel like I, I, you know, I think a lot of people might say, well, I have less to prove. Well, I, I never felt that I had anything to prove. So I don't think that's it. I honestly think the only thing that might've changed is a sense of, of being more at ease with being patient. I think yeah. I it's funny. I like that. It's not that I have more patience. I'm just more at ease to trying to have yeah, acting exactly. as if I have it. <laughs> and the patience is, and the patience is people getting on board or, or for people to, creating the space for them to be able to collaborate equally or, or, or proactively. Uh, pro probably that probably, I mean, I, I have, because I've had the opportunity to see so many more people and learn with so many more people and teach a lot of people as well. I've had the opportunity to become much more aware of all the different ways in which uh, people have to um, create their own paths to things, you know, all the different ways in which people understand things or fail to understand things. And I, and I am much better at, I think I'm much better at kind of, well, you know, it's funny. I say to my students, directing students, if you want to figure out, if you want to know how many ways you might have to figure out how to say something, when you walk into your first rehearsal, Look around the room, count the number of people, and that's how many ways you might. And 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 I say it half jokingly, but I do think that that is one of the things that you need to know is that there, that that we all bring different things to the table. We're all walking in the room and standing in different points in the room, and therefore we might need totally different explanations or ways into access an idea, a moment, whatever. So maybe, maybe that's it. Yeah, that's great. And I think it's true to realize, like, that's the thing as a director, right, is nobody has to, you know, nobody works one way and everybody works differently. And you, you have to figure out how you're going to work with all of them, you know, together. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's funny. People think you, you know, directing, you come out of the room. I tell people, you come out of the room. If you've been working all day, an eight hour day, a six hour day, you can be exhausted. People are like, what are you doing? You're just sitting there. I'm like, I have been thinking so hard all day, <laughs> you know, endlessly in a million different ways. That is work. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I'm backing up a little bit because I think you just went to undergrad, right? Yeah. Yeah, me too. And it was Although every year for like 30 years now, I've been thinking, maybe I'll go to graduate school. <laughs> hey, I'm not kidding. I literally am looking at next year thinking, maybe, maybe I'll go maybe. to graduate school. Yeah. You know, and if you want to, but at what point did, it's funny to say, like, when I hear you say, oh, I have nothing to prove, because I do, that confidence is great. And to have that. But at some point, when did you start directing? Did you did you do it? Because what I hear, I showed up with that. I built that show. I sound designed that show. I stage managed that show. At what point did you say, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to be the the director? Well, you know, I <laughs> you don't know, I directed the first show I ever directed when I was like twelve in junior high school. So, and and my family uh, will tell you in a minute that I was telling people what to do, you know, when I was five. So I never, I always, I think I always wanted to be director. Now I didn't ever want to make theater. I always wanted to make movies. I, I mean, as a kid, I was, I did theater cause you could do theater, but I never thought I would have a life in theater. I was building American blues theater and having a conversation and saying, Oh, I guess, I guess I, I guess theater is what I do. I just had this conversation with Bill Payne, actually. Like, yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, I guess this is what I do. And uh, it just takes a little while to realize that. Yeah, because you're doing, because you're just working, right? And uh, and also, when we were kids, it cost a, it was there was only film, and it cost a bazillion dollars to make a film, whereas you could make theater for a dollar ninety eight, and that is exactly what we did for a very long time. You know, with six coffee cans, and you know, back, certainly back in when I first came to Chicago, the first things that we did were in little tiny tiny storefronts, you know, where that were grimy and barely theaters at all. But it was also a very exciting time in Chicago where the off-loop theater thing was exploding. Um, Sam Wolf had, had just done uh, Balm and Gilead in New York. You know, I mean, things were happening. And so you would go into these little holes and people would pull up in, you know, very fancy cars and drag their furs in because they thought maybe someday they'd see, you know, Malgovich before he was Malgovich or something like that, you know? Right. Everything was alive with excitement. Just, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it really was. And, uh, and it, so it's just a natural progression. You're like, I'm, I'm 12. I'm in Chicago. I should direct next. And it was just, but that's really, it does sound like that. It sounds like it was natural to do. Like that's what you were going to yes. do. Yeah. yeah, I think so. And it's funny. Yeah. Again, because I don't think I was ever consciously thinking about doing it, but it was the thing that I was going to do. You know, I, I always, but, but, the other thing that was happening or, or what's begin to happen very quickly was the independent film thing would be popping off um, in the nineties. Right. And uh, so there was a lot of that happening in Chicago as well. And it was all kind of connected and yeah, I'd always wanted to be a director, but I'd always thought about film, um, but it seemed logical because I was involved in theater and that's where actors are that that's what I would do there first, I guess. Yeah, I want to want to say I've now. Yeah, I share that with you. It's funny. I think you know we're within the same age, if not exactly. And uh, I thought, yeah, I can do theater in a in an empty room. I don't need film and editing and equipment and right. you know and uh, just tell the story. And we did, you know, and we do. Yeah. Yeah. And um, when you're talking now, I'm going to ask about the teaching part. When you're what do you what are you talking to your students about at this moment during I feel like at this moment meaning there's two things happening, right? There's uh, one is a pandemic. And so what do you what are you talking about on focusing or getting them to Yeah, what do you I don't even want to answer the question before I ask it. How are you keeping them motivated and focused and what are they motivated on? Well, you know, it's strange. Right now, I'm not teaching any majors, except I'm teaching beginning directors this semester. Um, so, you know, the, the questions are a little bit different. They're not talking, thinking about 
making lives in theater. Although these, some of the directors might, but I don't, you know, they're, they're so early in what they're yeah, doing so right young. now. Um, I did just talk with a classroom of advanced directors for, for at University of Minnesota Duluth on a Zoom call with Bill Payne, who teaches up there, and he was the chair of that department till recently. Um, and, you know, I, I think any young artist, any young director, any young theater maker, um, honestly, I think it's really about what you can, what you can see in the world to, and, and bring to yourself to enrich kind of your experience of every day, because that's what you will be taking with you. And so it's kind of like Bill was talking to me about freelancing. Yeah, there's long periods of time <laughs> when you're not working. Um, so what do you do? It's kind of like now. Um, I think for me, I kind of go out of my way to make sure that I'm paying attention out in the world so that I don't miss moments uh, that can up, that of uplift, you know, moments of beauty, very, very kind of day-to-day moments, whether it's kind of the look of my city, you know, I'm looking up the river at something and the sky happens to be a particular color. I'm going up Lakeshore Drive and the waves are crashing in, you know, um, or I tell them, you know, or go to a museum or go do things for yourself, whatever it is that makes you happy. Lately, I've been kind of listening to people read poetry, not everybody, but, you know, only because seeing things, like having a moment to see things differently, to see the world differently, you know, to give yourself those opportunities because I keep you or they keep me um, feeling like there are possibilities in the world. You know, it's not all doom and gloom. Though we cannot do today what we would like to do doesn't mean we won't ever get to do it. And I think that's really hard when you're young to think about that because I remember my experience of being young was, oh my God, whatever's happening now is like we are doomed to do forever. You know, or I can't take that job. I'll be stuck in that horrible office forever. You know, and of course you won't, but that's how you feel when you're, when you're young. You can't, it's hard to remember that, that there's a lot that stretches before you because you haven't seen that yet, you know? And so that's kind of the thing. And also that for young, for young directors in particular, young theater makers, that success looks all kinds of ways. You know, I think that we also sometimes can mess ourselves up by thinking we, by being comparative about what we're doing, comparing ourselves to other people. Um, and also not seeing the opportunity that can be found in places you didn't even think to look. Uh, and so, um, I guess being open, being open-minded and not creating prisons for yourself, I guess. You know? Yeah, I think, well, it's interesting. Even you talked about the early grant and saying like, oh, those cohorts all have different careers, you know, and like everybody's journey is different. And, right. uh, and I love, you know, and I think you're, you're right. We can, especially right this moment, right? What, what a career looks like and what our work looks like is completely different than any of us would have imagined. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm hoping I'm hoping we can call it a career and moving forward. Um, well, we will all have learned something, you know, it will have, it will have contributed to what it is that we know and the tools that we can use. So, I mean, that has, that has some value. It, it, it does. And I, I love going back. It's very funny. Cause when you said, how did you hear that interview? But I have no idea. I was just searching around to go. You know, like, what interview? What are you even talking about? That is a post-show discussion that you did when you did the play and they recorded it. And I forget what theater it was at even. And it was just, it was, I was just like fishing around and I thought, oh, let me see what this is. And, uh, you know, and you said my favorite thing, which is what directors have to ask, which is why this play today, you know, and... Still. It's still, you have to, right? I mean, that's the question because oh, if you're going to bring yeah. it, it has to have an immediacy to it. And I feel like in the, just what you said about the world, like it's going to change. Like it's not all doom and gloom. It is, it may feel that way, but things are going to change. And I think that's <laughs> why, that is why we tell the stories, right? Is to create that change. Yeah. Um, yeah. To speak to that change, whether we're speaking to the need for it or, or the, the, the process, you know, or the results, <laughs> yeah, yeah, or the, or the yeah, the stunt, the the, or what the next step needs to be. I'm I'm curious with the with the movement and awareness and and the, and the feels like the consciousness of equity, inclusion, diversity that's happening. I'm curious what you see in Chicago theater that's taking is 
it's a weird time to say, is anything taking action? Is anything, are you seeing results? Because, or is there a, as much of a need as there is everywhere else? But uh, because it's a pandemic, so there's not a lot happening. So I'm curious how it's impacting the theater scene that you're seeing or, or even the training programs, anything. Yeah, I mean, it's early to say. I, I, I think that right before the pandemic hit, you know, you saw a lot happening in the wake of the protests and so on. Um, the protests before, I mean, that were already beginning before we, we locked ourselves up here. Um, I don't know what will happen. And I, and I, and I, I think you're getting the kind of conversation in the Chicago community that you're getting everywhere. Um, speaking as someone who's heard an awful lot of these conversations, I will be interested to see if there is actual fundamental change. I think, I think it's too early to know. I think uh, there are people who are very interested from all camps in there being real change. Um, but that doesn't mean, uh, I, we'll have to see if people really have the stomach for what it means to make those changes. Cause it's, you know, it's, it's going to mean gutting certain kinds of certain systems. It's going to mean people, this is the hard part, people stepping aside to make way and give place to others. And uh, that's a real challenge um, to really do that as opposed to say, as opposed to saying, um, you know, as many kind of diversity programs have done, we're going to make, we're going to make this place for you, but then we're going to make all the decisions about what it is you do in that place, you know? And so that's a very, it's a challenge. It's a real challenge. And, and I mean, that's kind of America right now. Are we really, really, really going to look to make fundamental change? I don't know. Um, I think it's the only thing that will in the long run save us not to be too dramatic about it, but, um, but, but in the short run, I, I'm not, I'm not sure, you know, it's hard to hear. It's hard to hear when you've heard a million, million times of people's intentions, you know, the road to hell and all of that. Right. So. <laughs> well, yeah, I was, I'm asking, cause I do think it's hard in the pandemic to know if we're seeing action or not. We're seeing, I have a phrase that's like, you know, saying to a friend of mine, don't, don't tell me what you're going to do. Tell me what you did. You know, because, because, <laughs> because I feel like, we have, as we started about talking about revolution and change, like we've seen this earlier and I'm, but I was curious, I feel like, uh, you know, Chicago is interesting because it's like this, it is sort of the, the original, I mean, New York somewhere or whatever, but when you came the storefront theater, the come start your own company feeling of this community. And, and I'm like, right, it's that grassroots thing that then grows. And I'm like, oh, I, how does Chicago have to, how do you keep that spirit going and continue to be inclusive, growing, equitable for all? Well, I think the one thing that is happening everywhere is a, is, is a shakeup because the ground is, you know, the rug's been pulled out from under everybody. And so the exciting part is that it is possible in this moment to rethink everything because we have to rethink everything. The question is, what will it look like? <laughs> you know, when, when, when we rethink it and that's from top to bottom, you know, our economy, you know, all of the, all of the buildings that are going to be, you know, all the space that is going to be available because companies have been working out without using it. And many of them have already said, we're not going to use this space. We don't need it. So what does that mean? I'm just talking, but you know, it means there could be space to create all kinds of cultural incubators if you could get the powers that be to allow that to happen, you know, because you can't charge what you charge, you know, the, the, the rich people or the, you know, the big companies for that space. But if it's just going to sit there, why not let it be used for something at a fraction of the cost? The problem of course is among many, I'm sure that, you know, writing off the space is sometimes something people prefer to do rather than let it be used without making top dollar for it. And that's, there are a lot of neighborhoods all over this city where you're like, why are these storefronts empty for the last 10 years? Because that guy can write that off. Yeah. And so again, there's just fundamental challenges to, to really being able to think creatively about what's possible in the cities everywhere. And certainly in the cultural community, it's no different. Yeah, I think that's, you know, it's funny. I've been having conversations with people who are 
landlords in New York, and that's the write-off thing they talk about. I'm like, well, at some point, it's always better to do something. And if you're going to invest in the city coming back and being rejuvenated, then let us create opportunities for people to gather and create and create That's opportunities. the question. Will we invest in each other? Will they invest in the community? Will they invest or are they just investing in their own pockets? Because that's where we are. That's why we are where we are. Because the thing that has been most elevated is just about one's own, you know, getting ahead in your you know your own pocket your own and not the community that you're in not the society that you're in that and that's our challenge right how do we how do we change that you know i feel like we should all go back and watch a bunch of the old westerns where you could see the individual and the society facing off and where the good guy generally was with the society <laughs> like in the end <laughs> even if he had to be dragged over there uh, I don't know. I'd have to, I actually have to go and watch some more of those to see if that really holds up. But that's how I feel about them. <laughs> that's the fundamental American question, right? The individual versus society. That is it. I, I think. That is yeah. it. And, you know, and since we're in a collaborative art form, we, we, I like to, I personally like to invest in each individual in the story and that their voice matters. But it's best when I'm working with a community to tell that story. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. I mean, but that is an investment. If you invest in each individual, you are investing in society. You know, that's, you know, as opposed to investing only in yourself, regardless of what happens in the society, you know. Right. So you can't make theater if you do that. Uh, I mean, I guess some people can, but generally speaking, you cannot make theater if you only do that. <laughs> um, and if you want to make theater, why would you? I, I'm always surprised, but if you, if that you would choose to be in a world where the point is the community, um, you know, making something with people, if that's not how you feel about it, but that's another conversation. That's, that's another one. <laughs> so on that, because I'm going to let you go, but in case you, well, you talked so much and you said great stuff, but if you had anything, since I sent the question, if you thought of any advice you wanted to bestow, I feel like I should ask that. And you may have already said it. Yeah, I said it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just be be open to the possibilities, you know, and 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 keep your eyes open in the world. I honestly think that that's it for the moments of beauty and power because they're revelatory. It was great listening to Lisa talk and talking with her and just. Oh, thank you so much for being in that conversation. And I also, I just, I loved the advice she gave. I love at the end when she talked about doing something for other people, like she did with the workers for To the Bone. And and that thing of service, it's so true. And, you know, we just had the holiday of Thanksgiving and, you know, do a plug for the farm. If you want to do some giving, there's the, we're doing our end of our year campaign. It's on our Facebook page, Connecting Earth Giving Tuesday. I also know that uh, a lot of people are struggling and because of COVID and lack of work. And if you can't give, you know, to the farm, that's totally understandable. It's appreciated if you do. But you also don't have to give money. You know, it's giving time. It's showing up for somebody. It's, it's uh, running an errand, anything. You know, that act of getting outside of yourself is really important, especially in a industry where it's focused on individual, you know, what am I creating? What am I doing? And the best way is to get out of yourself and do something for someone else. I really appreciated that Lisa shared that. And, you know, I loved a lot of the, a lot of the conversation and I'm going to remind you just to check out her, the benefit of her play to the bone, the working theater December 7, 7.30. Also, the idea of giving. Um, Sunday is the Farm Theater's grad school audition workshop. If you or someone you know is auditioning for grad school, um, you know, tell them to email us at education at thefarmtheater.org. And there's like two spots left open, but it's free. And since it's online, like a lot of the auditions are this year, we will, uh, you know, you don't have to be in New York to do it. You can do it anywhere. 
And so, and I'm looking forward to that. It's something we do every year, and I'm so glad that Scott Illingworth uh, volunteers his time to share his expertise as someone who auditions a lot of people because he works and teaches at NYU crowd acting. And really glad that he's open about the whole experience and the and the value of crowd school and and you know whether it's right for you or what you're looking for. It's, a, it's always a good experience. So if you know anyone who's interested in that, that Sunday, and they should. Uh, you know, send us an email and we'll hook them up. And with that, in the spirit of generosity, thank you for everybody who's been listening during COVID. It really, you know, makes me happy to know that we're still having the conversations. We're having a larger conversation with it, staying connected with our community and appreciate you recommending it and sharing it to other people. And if you're looking for something generous to do outside of yourself, you can always go to iTunes and give us the five-star review that has helped uh, people find us and you know I hope uh, hope you have a lovely December and enjoy as we start to head towards the end of 2020 and see if we can find some normalcy and with that we're out. Mm-hmm.